Thank you, Greg and praise team. Um, I'd like to welcome you guys to Faith Covenant Church. My name is Kara Harris, and I am the director of student ministries here at Faith Cov. Um, one of the, the things that we talk about um, from birth through graduation is that our time is limited with our kids. Uh, here's one of our object lessons. If a marble were to represent each week that we have with our kids, at the beginning of life, like that little one right there, our jar is pretty full. But by the time they hit their 18th birthday, <laughs> our time with them is limited. And if you ask any parent of the graduating seniors this year, they will tell you they have lost all their marbles. <laughs> I see some people looking at their students right now. Um, but for that reason, one of the things that I gave to your graduates, our graduating seniors, is this book called Growing With. Um, I will never forget a couple years ago when my daughter graduated from high school and all of a sudden I realized I wasn't done parenting. Um, and I had this adult child who still needed me and I, I found it really difficult to find some resources out there. Uh, Kara Powell, who is with the Fuller Youth Institute, who is an amazing woman of God and a researcher. She's done, put a lot of research into this book, and it's just about walking with your, with your young adult um, child. And uh, I hope it is a blessing to you and your entire family. But because as we hit these milestones, right, we, we look back. We look back at all those marbles we've lost and everything they represent and all those pieces of childhood, the joys... And, and the sorrows. And I thought as we look at that time, it might be good to take an opportunity and look at kind of that biblical understanding of children and childhood. And as I started looking at the child in the Bible, it got a little confusing. It seemed to be a little contradictory. And I'm going to just take us on a, on a little path with some of that. So first, I'm going to Go to the poetry, right? Proverbs and Psalms, right smack dab in the, in the middle of your Bible. Proverbs 17, 21. To have a fool for a child brings grief. There is no joy for a parent of a godless fool. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Proverbs 19, 13. A stupid child is ruined to a father. Proverbs 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Gets a little happier. <laughs> Psalms gets a little happier. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Someone just said Greg Newert. Um, <laughs> The, the prophets use kind of this imagery of the child as, as a metaphor for, for Israel. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted. Hosea 11.1, 1, when a, Israel was a child, I loved him. And in the Gospels, we can find Jesus' view on children. Matthew 18.4-5, through 5, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a child in my name 
welcomes me. If we move into the letters of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And Galatians 4, 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So we have a lot of differing opinions, right? Either they're a blessing or a curse, children. (laughs) So what are we supposed to do with that? Are we supposed to be like a child or not? (laughs) I think we have to take that question inward and ask ourselves in moments of our lives, are we being childlike or are we being childish? As we go down that journey, would you guys take a moment with me and and we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this community of people. I thank you for this community that has surrounded the parents and, and, and the graduates and the families of the graduates during the times of blessings and the times of struggle. Lord, as we prepare to hear your word, I ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Lord, I ask that if any words I speak are not of you, that they would fall to the ground and wither. In your son's holy name, we pray these things. Amen. So I thought we'd look at a a couple passages um, in Mark, but before we do that, I want to look at kind of the biblical context of a child, just kind of the historical understanding of childhood, because it hasn't always been a great experience being a child. In the Old Testament times, children were basically property. You know, they were subject to the whims of their masters and their parents. In some cultures, children were sacrificed to gods or made prostitutes in the names of gods. This is not a fun time to be a child. It's even a worse time to be an orphan. Because if you lost your parents, that was it. There was, there was no one left to care for you. But God had a different plan in mind. And we see that as as his people cried out to him in Egypt, he heard them. And he pulled them out of Egypt and he turned them into a community of his children. But he didn't just stop there. He was doing something completely countercultural and revolutionary because he looked at the orphans and he looked at the widows and he said, your job is to care for them. Not just that, but I am going to measure you, Israel, by the way you care for the least of these. This is totally different from what everyone else in the ancient Near East was doing. Israel was going to be different. Their God had a different value on children than anyone else. If we go to the Greco-Roman times of the New Testament, when Jesus walked this earth, here's what we know. About 50% of infants survived. Out of those 50%, about 50% survived past the age of 10. If you look at some of the ancient philosophers, they would let you know that children were not yet quite human. This was the understanding. And I know some of you parents may think that about your children, but let me tell you, they are fully human. (laughs) Um, 
An infant could be discarded for any reason. If it were disfigured, if it was unwanted, if it was female, you could just leave it at a doorstep, leave it in the street, leave it in the garbage dump. There was no judgment on you. If you were a slave that was a woman, everything you had belonged to your master. If you became pregnant and your master thought that that child was going to get in the way of your work, he could discard your child. Children had no protection from abuse. They could even be maimed if that meant they could provide more profits for their master as a beggar. And then all of this is really hard for us to imagine because it's not that that stuff doesn't happen in the United States or in current times. We, we see it all the time. There's, there's sex trafficking. Most of the people pulled into sex trafficking get pulled in as children. There's, there's children who are abused. But as a culture, generally, we see that as a tragedy, not the norm. It is something to be avoided. And we have systems in place to help it out. They may not be perfect, but our, our culture has decided we want to protect children. And in fact, in this congregation, in this room, there are people who have chosen to take children who they did not give birth to, bring them into their home, and make them their very own and love them just as though they were birthed from them. But as we look at Jesus and what he's saying about children, we need to understand the deep powerlessness, the complete lack of status, the total vulnerability and dependent nature of children. And we need to understand that they were sub subject completely to the authority of their children, of their fathers, or of their owners. So as we jump into this idea of are we being childish or being childlike, let's keep that in mind. Because I think it pulls to light how incredibly revolutionary Jesus was on his views of children. So we're going to start here at Mark 9, 33 through 37. When they came to Capernaum, they being Jesus and the 12 disciples... And he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12, and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not just me, but the one who sent me. Now, if you have worked with children, been around children, parented children, or been a child, you can understand this who is the greatest argument, right? Like, no, I get the front seat. No, I get the front seats. <laughs> I remember as a kid, um, each year, one of our neighbors would get delivered this gigantic dump truck load of bark. 
Now, before that beauty bark was spread, it was just in this great, big, gigantic mound. And we were so drawn to that mound, we had to play on that mound of bark. And of course, it always devolved into this game of king of the hill, right? The strongest and the best get to be on the top of the hill, and you're dragging your friends, and you're pushing them down to the bottom to see who could be at the top of the hill. And then when you're all done, you're walking home, you're pulling bark out of your pockets, and then you get undressed for, uh, for, for, a, for a, a bath, and there's this wonderful pile of bark in the bathroom, which your mother so appreciates. But I think we can be like that. We can be that childish, where we're more concerned with being on top than with who's on the bottom. We get caught in this game of king in the hill without realizing the eternal consequences. And what we need to remember in these moments where we're more concerned with the hierarchy and where we stand in it, we have to remember that Jesus came down to lift us up. We have to remember that the God who created the universe came down, put himself in human flesh to lift us up. And I think it's deeply profound that he chose to be an infant. He understood what he was choosing to step into by becoming an infant. He became completely vulnerable and he chose it so that he could lift us up. Mark 10, 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is such as these that the kingdom of God belongs to. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed him. This is how important children are to Jesus. That when people tried to stop them, Jesus was indignant. And that's why he's calling us to come to him as children. To be vulnerable, admit our powerlessness, and subject ourselves to the authority of the Father. And and on this Father's Day... A lot of us get to celebrate amazing dads. Dads who would have done anything to protect us, worked hard to always have food on the table and a roof over our heads, helped us share our loads. In fact, I have a picture of my father right up there. I'm not sure whether he's helping me share the load or not, but anyway, that's my dad. Um, (laughs) But not all of us have experienced that. Some of us have fathers who have not protected us. Some of us have fathers who have hurt us. Some of us have fathers who have been absent. And so on a day like today, or when we say, God is your father who wants to protect you and hold you and and keep you safe, we get a little triggered. (laughs) But I want to go back to Mark. And I want you to hear what God's heart 
for children is and how much he wants to keep them safe. Mark 9, 20, 42 through 50. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for you to tie a great millstone. If it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for, to enter life maim than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. God longs to protect his kids. And he has some pretty stern words for people who would go against it. This is God's heart for us as his children. That we would be released from bondage, that we would experience peace, that we would experience joy. But to do that, we have to rely on one another. We have to be more concerned with each other's fragile faiths than with our own fragile egos. Our heart's desire must be set on being like our heavenly father, putting his will above our own. We have to set our will aside to be childlike. Otherwise, we're just being childish. One more thing about being childlike, and that's this aspect of wonder. I remember being a young child, like two. I know I was that age because we were still living in Kent. I moved to Woodenville right after I turned three, just in case you need more details in my life. But I remember my, my sisters, who are closest in age to me, are still five and seven years older than me, and I remember like being drugged across the street to play at the neighbor's house. Have you ever seen that in older sibling, like hauling a toddler around? And I don't know what they played in the living room, but I remember sitting on the stairs and finding a slinky. And just sitting there. And I think slinkies are amazing things. Right? They just keep going back and forth. It takes very little effort. I was also very much in wonder how the other kids were able to make it go down the stairs. I still don't think I've been successful in making a slinky go down the stairs. But I could still to this day play with, with a slinky forever. Just kind of... It's a wonderful toy, right? I think we have to keep our wonder about the mystery of God to be childlike. And I don't know what does that for you. You know, maybe you're the person who loves the high desert, right, in the nighttime sky. Have you ever seen the stars? How they fill up the sky when there's no city lights around you and you just can't even count them? Or whether it's sitting on the top of a mountain watching the horizon just go on forever. Or has anyone here ever seen the phosphorescence in crashing waves? It's pretty awe-inspiring. Or maybe you're the type of person who finds wonder in the minute details of a living cell or in new life. Or even sometimes when you're in those dark, hopeless places, and you see God, and you're like, how did he know I was here? 
but he knew. I don't know what creates wonder for you guys, what makes you sit down and contemplate the mysteries of our great God, but here's what I do know. I do know that the God who created the universe created you and knows you deeply and intimately and adores you. He is the God who wants to walk with you and in front of you and to care for you and to protect you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all you are. We praise you and all the wonders and mysteries of this great universe, big and large. We ask that you would be with us this week and that you would invite us to wonder in your mystery. In your son's holy name, we pray these things. Amen.